What's up, everyone? This is episode number seven of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and I'm sure a lot of you saw maybe earlier in the week on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. I had a post talking about how I've been mulling over a number of topics. There, there are a lot of things that I could talk about today. I'm going to have to split some of this into pieces. Some of it I'm going to have to wait on. To begin with, we've got the ongoing playoffs and Damian Lillard. If you haven't watched basketball this week, you're missing out. Damian Lillard is something else. Um, This is also a classic example like I talked about last week. Do not buy a guy when he's hot. Okay, Meaning when he's scoring really well in the playoffs or he hits a huge shot. It's so tempting, but don't do it. He hit that 40-footer against Oklahoma City. I wanted to go out and I wanted to buy the biggest Lillard patch I could find. I held back. I told myself it was I wasn't going to do that ahead of time. Instead, I wrote it on my playoffs list. I'll come back to it in July. I'm sure there will be a lot of nice Lillard patches for me in July. Okay. Now, in addition to the playoffs, there's still a lot of other things going on. Panini updated their motion to dismiss this week. Shout out to Paul Lesko on Twitter. I, I feel like I've mentioned him like at least three times now, but I really enjoy his content. Not only that, he sent me a copy of the motion to dismiss this week. I can't wait to dive in with that. Um, I want to hold off until more stuff really develops, so that way I can cover it all at once. Also this week, we saw the reveal of what could potentially become a major card trimming scandal. Uh, On top of that, I know a lot of you are excited about the National Treasures checklist coming out this week, and then we've seen some of these first off-the-line boxes being uh, broken already. I want to see a little bit more of the product. I want to see kind of where the trends are going before I approach that topic as well. And then finally, we had the Gary V video on the Rich Eisen show. Seemed to ruffle a lot of feathers. People have been talking about it all week. People also seem very divided. Um, I've seen this video posted on Blowout. I've seen it several times on Facebook. And then also the trio on the House of Jordan podcast covered it in their latest episode, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to their episode seven, go listen to it. They've got a very unique setup with three different people. They talk about Jordan. They talk about Luca. They talk about some other stuff. Um, I haven't missed an episode yet. I really enjoy it. Now, speaking of House of Jordans, though, Chris and I have actually started chatting with one another because of podcasts, and we were messaging earlier this week, and he asked me what I thought about the Gary Vee video. And I'm going to talk more about who Gary Vee is later, but basically you've got this guy, he's very big in entrepreneurial circles, and he went on the Rich Eisen show, and um, he had this take on sports cards. So Chris asked me what I thought of it. Before I realized it, I had rattled off a string of 15 messages, and Chris replied, he said, you know, you've got some takes on this, maybe enough for a pod. So the more I thought about it, I would like to give my shot at providing some sort of a a breakdown on this situation. Um, I'm going to refer to this video often, but I want to clarify that my commentary is more on the situation than the video itself. I'm going to touch on who is Gary Vee, what is the context for the video, what was said. I want to talk about the two sides that have really developed in discussing this video and debating it. I want to give a personal message to his followers. I want to give a personal message to card collectors. And then I also want to give a personal message to Gary V. So let's start off with background. Who is Gary V? So just a real quick intro on Gary V. 
Um, when he was really young, his parents came here, his family came here from Russia. Um, he talks about it in a lot of different places, how when he came to America, the 1982 Jets helped to Americanize him, so to speak. After a while, he was making money at card shows as a teenager. He really enjoyed swapping baseball cards and selling baseball cards. Um, he went into his dad's liquor store business. He successfully launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses. He invested in a lot of different social media platforms that we know and use today, such as Facebook and Twitter, Tumblr. He invested in Uber. Obviously, these things worked out very well for him. He's an author. He's a motivational speaker. He has a massive social media following, and he understands the ins and outs of each platform pretty well. He has over a million followers on Twitter. He has over 5.6 million followers on Instagram. And and to have that many followers on Instagram without selling silicone and lip injections, I, I would say that's pretty impressive. He um, currently records a show online called the Ask Gary V Show, where he has a guest on and he fields impromptu questions from callers, many of them seeking entrepreneurial advice. Now, personally, I've seen some of his stuff on social media before. Some of it resonated with me, some of it didn't. Um, about a year ago, he had John Taffer on, which is the host of a, a show I really like called Bar Rescue. I don't know why I like that show so much, but I do. Um, so he had him on the Ask Gary V show. I liked his page after that. I've been exposed to several other pieces and interviews since then. There's a lot of, of content in general. A lot of this content repeats, but there's also a lot of new stuff. He's just producing so much content, and that's because the demand is there. So then what's the context for what, what collectors have been calling the Gary V video? This video took place on April 17th on the Rich Eisen show, which is like a sports interview show. It's very similar to the Dan Patrick show. Um, but when you look at the context for this video, watching it as just a three minute clip makes it seem like it was nestled into the middle of a, of a really long segment. He was on the show for about 20 minutes Rich Eisen started by asking him what was up in his world, and he almost immediately went into sports cards. I mean, within the first two minutes, he, he gave a small little piece, I think, about the Jets. He's a huge New York Jets fan, and then he was talking about sports cards. So I think it's something that he's legitimately interested in because he they could have, and they did talk about Zion later. I mean, there's a lot of stuff he's interested in in New York sports that they could have talked about. So obviously he has some enthusiasm about sports cards. Now, keep in mind, though, a lot of his shtick is generating enthusiasm. It's not necessarily that we need to confuse that with hype, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. If you look at what was said in the video, I want to take just some key points that he made and rattle them off here real quick. That way I can address them afterwards. Um, he said that he's bought several hundred Giannis Prism rookies PSA 10, he bought them in August of 2018 at $150 a pop. He claims that they're trading for $380. Um, he talked about how there's a $50,000 Zion card to be had by opening a $6 pack. Now keep in mind, this is on a mainstream sports program. He says that sports cards are about to become a cultural phenomenon again. He says that the market has been moving very aggressively over the last year. He has several theories for why sports cards are going to emerge. He thinks, number one, that sneaker flippers are running out of inventory. And then he mentions, in the, in the same vein, he mentions buying De'Aaron Fox. 
He thinks the he's taking the whole sports betting and gambling angle to this. He thinks that people can get their fix in packs. And in the process, he claims that there will also be several $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 Zion cards in 3 to $4 packs. And then number three, he talks about how there are a lot of 40-year-old dads out there that now have kids. And those people will try and relive their childhood and the early 90s sports card boom. Um, through collecting with their kids. So he thinks that sports cards are an incredible alternative investment for the next three to five years. And finally, one of the points he made, he said, um, I think LeBron rookies, Kobe rookies are trading about $1,000 a piece graded well. He says they're going to be $5,000 cards in three years. So he went through all of that in three minutes. I don't really feel right dissecting this three-minute clip piece by piece because he's on live television. He's got three minutes to cover the topic. You know, I've already seen a lot of people say, well, he didn't address the trimming and he didn't address this and that. It's three minutes. Uh, I'm going to assume there was some intentional generalizations. And I did the same thing when I was covering my history of cards in the first episode. I covered the 90s in like, just like that, in a snap. Let's move on then. I'm going to talk about some of the more individual pieces later, but I want to look at the two sides that almost immediately emerged in discussion when people were talking about the video. Um, And I'm going to try and be objective here as best as I can. So the two sides really that I've noticed emerged were number one, we had the flippers and the investors. And then number two, we had the collectors. And keep in mind that a lot of these debates are happening on collector forums or social media collector groups. That doesn't mean that just collecting happens in those venues, but that's kind of the angle that we're looking at here. So there's a lot of debate then coming from these collectors asking if these flippers and these investors can have any viable role in the hobby. Can someone like Gary Vee have a viable role in the hobby? Now, I try and make this podcast primarily about the hobby, but to me, that hobby also recognizes that there's a market for cards as well. I think the collector side understands that, but but there is some concern, and it's a legitimate concern, about the need for balance. Most of my exposure has been to the collecting side, um, and some of these people have some very sharp criticisms towards the investor's type. So I've seen a lot of phrases such as these. I I tried to pull some comments that I saw from the the message boards in the Facebook post. Somebody said that more investors and and less hobbyists is not good for the hobby. Um, They see cards being an investment vehicle and they feel like those aren't collectors talking. Somebody said that prices going up is not good for the collector at all. And then he, he goes on to talk about how you know, nobody, no collector is out there saying, man, I really hope this stuff is more expensive. Some of these people, they're worried about the type of people that this investor influx could bring in. And it, it seems fairly spot on that the target audience for this type of stuff and for Gary Vee here is, is the get your hustle on crowd. That's the phrase that somebody used on Blowout and I thought it was appropriate. So in turn, it's these people only, it seems like they only care about money and that can lead down to some dark roads, which include trimming and doctoring cards. Basically, when, when money is the sole motivator, sometimes our morals um, go by the wayside or sometimes they can. I'm not saying that they do all the time. Sometimes they can. Um, and then somebody finalized and said, if people come in it for the money, 
then it's really not a hobby anymore. It's an investment, which ruins the fun for true collectors. Um, I don't want to dismiss any of those. I think that those are all valid points. I don't have an investor necessarily to come on here and, and to counter those points. I'm not an, an investor myself, even though I do buy stuff to move it. I've acquired a lot of knowledge about this hobby as I've gone through the hobby and as I've gone through the years. So if I see something I feel good about and I enjoy setting up at my local card show, then then I'm going to purchase it and try and flip it. Now, how do I interpret, not, not the response necessarily, but I want to go back and look at how I interpret this video. Um, and, and if you look at it from a general standpoint, I think on the whole, most of what he said could prove to be factually correct. At, at first, he talks about buying the Giannis rookies and how he bought them at 150 and he says now they're trading for 380. So that, that should be your key there. He didn't necessarily, he's not doing this for collectors. Trading, that term, you know, I wouldn't say that, that um, a card is trading at a certain amount. That's investor language. So no matter what you think of investors, he's not, I don't think he's really trying to misrepresent the actual investment part of it. He's excited about being able to invest in something that he enjoys, which is sports cards. Um, there are people that think he's trying to hype his own cards. That's going to be hard to prove or to disprove. And sometimes when you talk about something so much, you run the danger of driving the price up. And I actually talked about that with the House of Jordans uh, with Chris this week. I, I was messaging with him and I said, you know, are you ever afraid that talking about Jordans on your podcast jeopardizes your chance to get some Jordan cards that you really like? Yeah, I felt like it was a legitimate question, and we had some pretty good conversation about that. Maybe something that we'll address here in the future. As I told him, every time I listen to your podcast, I want to buy Michael Jordan, and I don't collect Michael Jordan. Okay, so additionally, um, Gary said that there's a $50,000 Zion card that could be had in opening packs. I, you know, there's a strong possibility that that's not wrong. Um, especially if he ends up in a big market like New York, your black one-of-one -one prism your optic gold vinyl, the gold vinyl auto. So depending on how he plays out of the gate, depending on what happens with the exclusive license or not with upper deck, you know, Adam and I talked about a few of those things. He very well could have a $50,000 card. Um, he talks about how sports cards are about to become a cultural phenomenon again. You know what? I like this. I like the fact that he is going on a national platform and he's talking about something I care about. Now, maybe he doesn't take the same attitude or the same approach to it that I do, but I think this helps legitimize our hobby. I tell people that I record a basketball card podcast. I'm not ashamed of this hobby at all, but I do see some of the reactions I get to it. Now, quite frankly, I don't care, but it is nice to have somebody advocating for us in a sense. Now, I'm not saying that he represents every collector, but as we talked about earlier, he has such a big audience that it is nice to have somebody talking about cards. That's so popular. So he also talked about how the market is moving pretty aggressively over the past year. Uh, it's probably been a little bit longer than the past year. It's probably closer to three years. And I think it's interesting because if you look at some of the more traditional investment vehicles out there, the main one that sticks sticks out to me is stock. 
I think about my own personal experiences with stocks, which are very limited. But a couple of years ago, I I decided that I wanted just to play around with stock just to understand how it works. So I put $200 into the stock market. It was more of an experience cost to me. In some places, I did really well, like Disney. I knew that they were going to have their own streaming network. I, I figured, you know, some of the Marvel, some of the Star Wars stuff, I figured that was going to drive the price of their stock up, and it did. I did all right on that one. There was some other stuff I didn't do so well with. Like, for example, Rite Aid recently, they had a reverse split. I didn't even know what that was. I had to go look it up. Um, and lately, I've come to the conclusion, I realized that I liked the idea of owning stock more than I actually like owning stock. You buy something, you track it every day, you get some sort of feeling out of it. It validates, oh, yes, I made a good decision. Oh, I really need to ride that out. I need to investigate that more. It, you know what it turned into me? It's a really expensive Tamagotchi. Do you guys remember those things? Maybe if you're my age, you remember that. So really with stocks, I get one investor call or one conference call every quarter or so, and that's it. With cards, it's different. So I can see how there's some appeal to this. Um, as far as guys that are playing, you know, if, if you buy a card of them, you have a tangible item that you can have some emotional attachment to for current players they have 82 games a year so like stock where you have you'll have like quarterly conference calls and sometimes the conference calls will influence the price of a stock well i look at it like for a current player you have 82 separate conference calls that can affect their value i can hold it i can collect it i can take it somewhere i like that idea so after he finished talking about the market he talked about his three theories on why this market is is moving and why he thinks it's going to become even more aggressive. Is number one that sneaker flippers are running out of inventory, and then he mentions buying deer and fox. I've seen some people talk about maybe they have friends that are sneaker flippers. Um, somebody on Blowout mentioned that he told him told his friend about trout prices. And that friend was then obsessed. He said the wheels in his head couldn't turn fast enough because just like shoe flipping, card flipping is all about getting on and off the hype train. Um, now, the De'Aaron Fox thing made me chuckle a little bit. I, I think Fox has the potential to be a very good player in this league. But I also realized that he plays for the Kings. Um, there were a, a lot of Kings players that performed really well this year and didn't get the attention they deserved. And there was a reason for that. They play on the Kings. Uh, personally, I wouldn't invest in small market players on teams that aren't going anywhere. I think your money's safer in some of the more established stars or guys on the on the top. But who knows? He he Gary V, if you've watched his social media stuff, he loves and he even did this on the Rich Eisen show. He loves having clips of him from the past that talk about something that's very successful in the present. And you know, I don't fault him for that. I think it's awesome. Maybe, Gary Vee, if you're listening to this, when Sacramento wins the 2025 title, you'll have a clip from the Wax Museum podcast, and I will have to eat crow. Uh, another contributing factor that he gave for the market being so aggressive right now is sports betting and gambling. He thinks that uh, people are going to get their fix in packs. He talked about the expensive Zion rookies. Um, and you know what? I build my collection from singles mostly. I like opening packs from time to time, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm dependent on these degenerate gamblers. You know, the the good thing though about when you do bust packs is 
you know, even if you lose, even if your ROI, which is your return on investment, is very, very small or, or next to nothing, you still have some cards. The third reason he gave for the market maybe being more aggressive is I think it's also the most viable. It's that 40-year-old dads now have kids and these people will relive their childhoods. He cited another example of this, which was toys. I think this is probably a, a pretty accurate theory. Um, one thing he said that I wasn't so sure about, another thing, is that um, he talked about, he said, I think LeBron rookies, Kobe rookies are trading at about $1,000 a piece graded well. And that's going to be a $5,000 card in three years. Um, at first, I didn't even know how to take this because he just said LeBron rookies and Kobe rookies in general. Well, I know my 2003 Bazooka PSA 9 LeBron rookie that I just picked up, which I love, by the way, is not going to jump probably much higher. It's definitely not going to get to 5000 I mean, it's at about $30 right now. And I think whoever's guiding him on this, wherever he's getting his advice, wherever he's he's looking to, they're, they're probably telling him to focus in on Prism and Chrome because those are also the two things that I've seen him seek out on social media or wherever. Um, remember, he talks quite a bit in his past about selling baseball cards at card shows in the 80s and maybe even the early 90s. Keep in mind that baseball players in the early 80s, they had pretty much one rookie card or very few rookie cards or one main rookie card, I should say. So I, I don't know if he thinks that about now. You know, I don't know if he realizes how many LeBron and Kobe rookies there are out there. This tells me that he probably hasn't quite merged his sports card knowledge from that time frame and seen it realistically juxtaposed with the market today. Um, if this does happen with the standard rookie card, though, I think Prism or Chrome is the way to go. And I talked about that a little bit on my LeBron James episode. So he is right there. Uh, there were a lot of people that thought that the $5,000 was kind of crazy. I, you know, I don't know if I can see a LeBron Chrome getting to that point. I hope so just because I have a couple of them, but somebody said if people would just quit trying to hit it big on the next LeBron and instead spend their money on the current LeBron, then that would probably already be a $5,000 card. So now that I've, I've talked some about the video, and I hope I've given you a good representation of what I, I think he was trying to say and, and the way that people interpreted that, I want to do a couple of things here. I want to give a message to his followers, to card collectors, and then to Gary Vee himself. Um, first off, to his followers, I will say I've, I see you guys on social media. I admire you. You're a driven group of people. You're passionate. Your enthusiasm is your greatest strength. Um, as much as I'd love to see more people involved in this hobby, if you jump in and if you spend too much too quick, there are people out there with more knowledge that will eat you alive. Um, as with anything else money related, you need to take your time, weigh the advice you're being given. You, you can't just go to basketball reference and say, oh, this Giannis guy is killing it. I think Gary's right. I'm sure Gary has said something to this effect in his videos as well when it comes to investing. But the, the learning curve for this hobby is steep. Go to a card show. Go to card shops. Ask questions. Feel out what dealers are willing to talk and, and which ones are hesitant to share and then try and, and really just learn from the people that are willing to talk. I know some people aren't going to agree with me on this, but I don't think you should pay anyone for advice in this hobby. I know there are various outlets out there where you can do that. 
I just don't think you need to pay people for this information. If you're patient and thorough, the information's there. Um, a place like the blowout forums or a place like Instagram, those can be a little bit intimidating at first, but you just got to jump in. If you hang with it, there are helpful resources. There are helpful people out there. Set aside a small amount of money and treat it as an experience cost. Play around with the market. Watch prices of cards over a series of three months. See what happens when people play in big markets. See what happens when players are winning. See what happens when players have monster games. Okay, you'll notice that there are different indicators that drive the price. Go look at the difference between Damian Lillard sales between Tuesday and Wednesday morning. We didn't need a 40-foot shot to know that Damian Lillard was incredible, and yet the market reacted to it. So there are going to be a lot of people that gravitate to this industry because they think that they can make money, but you've got to be careful and you've got to understand what to buy and sell. It's just like traditional investing. Now, as far as my message to card collectors, you've got to understand that a lot of Gary V's followers might be on the horizon, if this video even has the effect that we think it might. Um, I think some of your fears and concerns are legitimate, though, and I also think you have a major responsibility in shaping the response to this video. So there is a good chance that Gary V will bring all sorts of new investors and collectors into the market that will benefit our hobby. What got him into this whole business side of, of his whole life was selling cards when he was in his teens. So to me, this helps legitimize the hobby. Number one, it gives us exposure. He's a big Jets fan. He's talked about on his Twitter how he's buying um, Darnold Prism cards right now. If you follow his tweets, you'll see that there are a bunch of people talking about getting back into the hobby. He's also said that he wants to set up a, a table at the National, and I think that in itself is exciting. There are far worse things happening at some booths at the National than somebody flipping cards. In addition to that, some of the people who started as money guys, they could become card guys. And I've seen people go back and forth. Also, we have the financial side of things where we could see rare cards moving more. Um, have you ever seen the finder's fees on some of these super rare cards? If you go on Facebook right now, a lot of rare 90s stuff, I think because people are realizing that it's it's gone up so much, there's a lot of rare 90s stuff that's becoming available. So the problem for a lot of collectors though, and it is changing hands, the problem for a lot of collectors is not affording them, but it's it's finding them. And I always hope that one of the possible side effects of the, the famous um, green Michael Jordan PMG was that some of these other rare cards would surface as well. And I really haven't seen that happen or I haven't noticed a lot of it, but I think it's possible. And then on the, the financial side, uh, aside from more people to sell to and to buy from and those rare cards being more accessible in the market, having a growing market could also allow manufacturers like Panini to invest more into their innovations and make better cards. It might force Panini to get better. Uh, and I'll come back to this idea in a couple of minutes here. Now, as far as a, a personal message to Gary V, listen, Gary, hey, come on the show. Let's chat. I love the attention you're bringing to the hobby. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't even think this thing is getting the exposure that us card people thought it would. I think it's just a lot of us overreacting. But the fact that you have this platform and you're, you're at least talking about it tells me that this thing has the potential for this exposure that we, we dreamed of to be realized. And I would venture to say that many of the people who invest in the stock market 
they don't have any real emotional attachment to what they're doing, or at least not the same kind as with sports cards. I think part of what makes you so excited about this right now is your love for the Knicks, your love for the Jets, um, what those teams have done for you in your life. On that same episode of the Rich Eisen Show, you had a, a real funny debate about Patrick Ewing and David Robinson, and I loved seeing that side of you. If you are in this purely for investing, which I, I think you are, and I'm not going to fault you for that. That's your choice. There's no rules that govern that. But I think it's I think it's kind of interesting. But if you're going to buy all these cards in August of 2018 and just now start promoting them, some people will say hyping them, it looks suspicious at best. I'm not saying that I think that necessarily, but it definitely has that look to it. But I'd like to think that you mean well. Just be careful. Listen, the truth of the matter is we don't have a lot of representation in the mainstream media. I'd encourage you to immerse yourself in things a little more, ask questions at the national, hang out with collectors and not just investors. And my hopes are that you can convey some of that mindset to various media outlets as well. Now, as I've mentioned before, I think at its core, a lot of collectors felt personally threatened in some way by this video. And part of that is we just didn't know how to take it but there should be some room for overlap in this hobby. Um, there was a poster on Blowout named Chain, and um, he made a, a really, really good post talking about times in the past where there's been influxes of collectors and investors who came into the hobby. A lot of times it correlates with the key years or some iconic sets in the hobby. So he mentioned in 1986, you had Jordan emerging and the rookie card craze, Fleer came in as a new manufacturer. In 1992, there was a lot of hype surrounding Shaq, and you had inserts started to become a thing. Um, in 1996 and 1997, you had Jordan's reemergence and the strong rookie classes of those two years, and then you had an explosion of inserts and in the, in the start of super rare cards. 2003, of course, we had the hype surrounding LeBron James, and with that came super high-end becoming mainstream with Exquisite. Um, 2009, we had the hype surrounding Blake Griffin. There were also some other good rookies in that class. And that was really the start of the current era of collecting. And this poster named Chain, he says, in each of those times, the influx served as catalyst to the innovation of cards and the evolution of the hobby. Yes, prices on some cards, which were investor targets, spiked, but many other significant cards became available. Shortly after each influx, many exit and the hobby goes into a period of stagnation until the next influx. Yes, there was a lot of apprehension about the influx of investors during those times too, but when we look back at it now, I don't really hear people talking about these said times being bad for the hobby. Quite the contrary. So I don't see why this time would be any different. Now somebody replied saying, well, at the time though, there was more competition. Now we have a monopoly, so things are going to be different. But I think that this could also show that there's a need for more competition. As I covered in episode number one, the, the NBA realized just how saturated the market for cards was, and they pushed for an exclusive. So now the market is booming. Um, a lot of people have lost hope for spreading that license out, but this could be a new emerging argument that it needs to happen, that we need more licenses, or we need to split that license. I've also seen some people this week share the sentiment that, you know, the hobby should be full of collectors and altruistic people and good people that are looking out for one another, but that's just not 
realistic. Maybe more realistic though would be to have a big community where maybe some are motivated by money, but it keeps things dynamic and it pushes the hobby forward. And there are enough collectors and investors that will try and balance things out a little bit. To wrap things up today, I want to emphasize that my goal wasn't to try and sway you to one side or the other. The goal wasn't to come to a conclusion on if the video was good or bad for the hobby. In fact, I think the video will have a lot less influence than people think. Um, It wasn't to try and make you feel a certain way about Gary Vee or investing, but I wanted to present the facts in both sides um, and some of my thoughts. As with everything else, when you have the facts in front of you, I think you should take the time to examine them. Form your own opinions. Maybe you already had opinions. Maybe they didn't change. That's fine as long as those opinions are are thought out. But also at the same time, be respectful towards the people that disagree. Going forward, I'd love to continue this conversation on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. If you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for the link to the merch store. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.